closing remarks as you kind of open into the wider domain the um, uh, sort of things to uh, refer to some of these practices and uh, now you're entering into a much more multi-dimensional interactive situation and so you bear in mind certain key functions of how you relate relationship first of all probably most important relationship to values virtues and whatever you hold sacred something to undertake every day really to spend some time just checking in with values virtues sacred qualities you know we have shrines and altars for and it's a ritual thing the ritual can seem to be just a you know it's often used me you know, mere ritual mean empty now ritual can be empty <laughs> like like speech can be empty but it can also be very full and ritual is associated imagine with the old term rutta rutta was the um, word for the wholeness the karmic the wholeness of the cosmos so it's, and these are the kind of uh, ways and means to uh, connect to the wholeness the balance the cosmic law and, or called dhamma so you know, so everything we do in this way we try to use these rituals to resonate with qualities such as clarity purity integrity you know, and so forth so you're using a ritual because it's a particular um, energetic um, transmission that we've all inherited to a degree we all have that capacity as human beings we relate to uh, your own body with a sense of this uh, uh, thank you for your company um, you know, something that uh, we want to learn to listen from listen to its what's what it's up to what it feels like internally not to just be too uh, you know involved with the external experience it's an aging form um, generally bodies these days are generally venerated for about 15 years <laughs> you know, then you're kind of like 18 to 30 or something that it's sort of like oh. <laughs> uh, this is not a really good way to regard a body because in that sense it's either too young or too old <laughs> uh, so actually the external appearance of the body is something to not be too concerned about but the internal qualities of, of vigor health and particularly what we can do with dhamma practice is neurological health if you like uh, you know, referring to what's the body is the body getting stressed uh, ten times and then as you more develop that relationship with it you can begin to read it because the body doesn't tell you lies it tells you direct truths even if, even if you're non nonverbal it tells you I'm stressing I'm stressing I'm stressing you're pushing me too hard <laughs> you know I'm dying I'm dying you haven't given me energy you know this bit of me is dying I'm not giving letting energy flow through it 
uh, and so giving you these these messages which form relationship to it this can tell you some very important truths as I hope in this period of practice together through this embodied practice we've begun to recognize to be able to read that some of that or try to read it relationship to other people is of course you know, a huge part of anyone's life if it's only one other person uh, uh, because this is really where we our personality is is developed uh, and formed through relationships with others from early age you know from when I was a child right up and on and on and on a personality is formed as this heart arises and is touched by the approval or disapproval by the shaping the inclinations the attitudes of one's elders and one's peers you know. and something in the heart deeply wants to be in in harmony with other beings uh, of course this this can you know is a good idea but if other beings are behaving unskillfully it's easy for us to adopt those behaviors uh, in order to feel accepted uh, and, and in harmony with them yeah. so we're very much on the lookout for um, uh, approval, disapproval, acceptance, non-acceptance uh, threat, competition, comparisons and so forth but then as one develops what happens is that through particularly through chronic that's long-term relationships which are not the most loving then the personality develops certain sort of defense strategies you know because the absence of, of warm acceptance means the chitta doesn't really open completely into the relational realm it's not safe there doesn't get any food there so it doesn't actually open into the relational realm completely because the relational realm has always been a place where there's been accusation not enough love or or befriending or encouragement so it does, just doesn't go there it doesn't open up into it there's not the trust so you know so with other people irrespective absolutely irrespective of the the the, the chitta that doesn't have that trust or notice things the other person that I don't trust her because she said that. And this is not necessarily verbal; it's a feeling of that you, you one looks out other people through the eyes of your personality, and your personality is shaped by the circumstances and conditions in which it develops. <laughs> so your personality is not entirely your own. You see what I mean? So you know, when you start, so this is called projection. You see, and uh, you see, or you hear speech, and you hear one word in in three minutes. It's obviously doesn't like me. Because <laughs> one, one, you want one a sentence I could interpret as him not liking me or or feeling discomfort in a whole. 20 minute speech, notice that proves it. You know? So you, you get that. And you say, Look, you look to me that way. You know, 
He was looking out the window, looking a bit tense because of me. No, it wasn't. He was just studying the monkeys. <laughs> but <laughs> he's not talking to me. But he's not supposed to be talking to you. <laughs> he's ignoring me. Uh, you know, we, we kind of get these, these deflective perceptions from what our personality is. is um, we're looking through the eyes of that. And unfortunately, the relational realm that we arise within is not saturated with enlightenment factors. <laughs> so one picks up those qualities of veiled hostility. Veiled hostility means you know, being looked down upon. It doesn't mean it necessarily uh, attacks you, but just feeling you should do better than that. You should be better than that. That wasn't much good. You could you could do better than that. So you never get any sense of that was wonderful, beautiful invitation. It's always you should be something other than you are. You should be something other than you are. What you are is not acceptable. You get that chronically. You know, what what do you think the result of that will be? You know, we're always trying to be better than we feel we are, but we don't really know how we are. Uh, what are you measuring it against? And you, to measure it against the impressions you receive or what you assume other people are thinking. And just bear in mind, you do not know what other people are thinking. You don't know anybody else, really. But So we get these clear messages of, very clear message of, he doesn't like me, she doesn't, you know, I'm not as good as he is. There's only one person that's saying that. That's your personality that's saying it to you. And they're bouncing it off the perception of another person. And this becomes extremely uh, clear, particularly in retreat situations when people aren't talking. Because some, often talking is just to, to... Talking is not to communicate so much, it's just to, to not communicate the disease that I'm feeling. <laughs> Very chat to create a kind of a bit of a fluffy, inconsequential, happy thing to blanket the sense of slight disease I feel when I'm with a group of people. I feel a bit nervous because I don't know. Say something. So when when that happens, and having taught retreats for many years and been in a retreat situation and witnessed it. It's so, it's so, uh, so right across the board. You know, you get in retreats and somebody says, the person behind me hates me. <laughs> you know, or the person that's in the other side of the table really you know, has this opinion about me. But no evidence at all, apart from maybe expression on the face, they're looking a bit tense or brow furrowed, or they, they, you know, they look at that when they look away. See? See, it proves it. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we can't do the, those social things we would do to, to, to ease over that, that, uh, that agitation. So no, notice this. Notice this. Now, you know, looking through the eyes of your personality. Then other people really help you to see 
you know, where, where, where you're, what you're being shaped by. What you're being shaped by. Mm. By the society, I think, uh, certainly you know, in my um, experience, a sense of not wanting to be a nuisance. Don't want to be a nuisance. Well, who said you're a nuisance? Well, that's kind of you, but I, don't, I really don't want to take up your time. But what do you mean, take up my time? I mean, I don't find you a nuisance or a burden. I was just being nice. <laughs> you know, and uh, those, those kind of things. Who thinks I'm a nuisance? I do. <laughs> That's who it is. <laughs> I've got to work on that. <laughs> you know, you're too loud, you're too dirty, you're too scruffy, you're too impulsive, you're, you're you know, wow. You know, the, inner, the inner critic lights up, starts giving you signals. And you think it's other people. And of course the obligation, oh, I really should do more for her or him. I really, is that, are you sure? You know, it sounds good, doesn't it? You get into these uh, scenarios where we feel a sense of compulsive obligation. I mean, giving and loving and sharing and helping out is great, but where's the compulsive obligation? Where did the debt come from? It comes from the feeling that you're not good enough unless you do something. If you don't do something, you're not, you're not fulfilling a social duty. So, actually... Is how much is enough? And there is there is no limit. There's never enough. So it's the rarest word in the English language. It's a, it's a common enough term, but to actually use it is quite rare. They yeah, are good enough. It's okay enough. It's fine. I've done enough for today. I could do a bit more. That's enough. Your body's saying that's enough. So you, one gets these social inductions into, you know, you're only acceptable if you do a lot and quickly and high performance and good standards. Then we'll accept you. Otherwise, sorry. You know, there's only one winner. Top of the class, head of the, you know, one of the other. You get these inducted into this paradigm. So, you know, looking at that, not just as individual projection, but social projection that we then transfer into ourselves. So contemplate this, because it's certainly in this energetic embodied domain you can begin to witness the, un- the unmistakable marks of these, these models, these programs, these messages, that you can feel something's going stress, 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 stress. Well, that's clearly, you know, whatever the thought is, you know, I need to look after my mother, my husband, my wife, or so and so. Whenever that's getting stress, 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 it's not exactly that the message is wrong, but where it's coming from is the wrong. There's got to be another way. Yeah. A friend of mine went her, she had an a- ailing father. And eventually he, he passed away 
but she thought, oh, you know, I could have given him that. You know, maybe I should have got that medicine to him. Or maybe I could, if I'd have been there a bit longer, if I'd have stayed with him, you know, so you get this feeling of regret. I should have done, I should have done for my father. I should have done this, I should, you know. If only I had, this is regret. One time she was kind of sitting, I think she was just sitting in the bathtub, actually sitting, she's sitting there, feeling this thought. And then she heard her father's, her father's voice saying, I don't expect you to be perfect, you know. <laughs> you did all you did all you could. That's enough. Oh. So it's it's good to know to have that word, and the feeling of that word. So and lastly, just relationship to the earth you know, that we live on, material resources, and how we respect and care for that. It's, uh, if we're careless about the earth and the resources, then we're really not adjudicating properly over our appetites and needs. And so this, unfortunately, seems to be quite endemic. The more, it's sort of, I don't know which comes first, but there's a, there's a balance between spiritual impoverishment and consumerism. <laughs> the emptiness one feels within is trying to be counteracted by gobbling up more stuff. And uh, in some ways we are very much encouraged to, to be consumers. And actually this depletes our proper servicing of our internal spiritual resources because we're too busy consuming. And if we get into that, as our spiritual resources drop, we feel rather inadequate and un- undernourished and somewhere else so we consume more and the cycle goes on. Once we establish you know, that enough and then we, you've got to fill up the rest of your happiness through internal practices. These are things to, to consider and look out for. You're going to be in the worldly winds of praise, blame, success, failure, gain and loss. Uh, and happiness and unhappiness. Uh, this is why you need a firm center and an open heart. <laughs>